Welcome to Sticky Standards, episode number 20. Sticky Standards. Professional learning that sticks. Welcome back to Sticky Standards. This is Dana Richardson. And again, today, we're going to be talking about professional learning that sticks in our schools. Today, guess who? John Heim is going to be is our guest today. John, welcome to Sticky Standards. Well, thank you. That music sounds so dramatic. I know. We, we <laughs> needed, like I'm, I don't know what this is. <laughs> a drum roll, right? A drum roll. <laughs> well, John, I am so excited to talk to you about professional learning for many reasons, but because you've had such a um, varied career, and I see you as a risk taker and um, and a learner. So um, I'm excited to, to have a talk. Do you want to just share, introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners right off the bat? Well, yeah, I, I I think the reason you think that is because everything I know about professional learning, I learned from you. <laughs> uh, so that must be what why you think that I uh, I know something about it. But uh, yeah, I've been a superintendent. I was a superintendent for twenty some years, and but in the interim, I also uh, was I took your place at at, uh, at ESVAC mm-hmm. for three or four years, and now I work for the uh, school boards association. So I have had a varied career and have some trouble holding a job. <laughs> I don't think that's true. But let's talk about professional learning. Uh, with with all of the experiences that you've had, uh, and we, you, as you reflect on those, what has been the most successful implementation of any change that you can think about? As you well, you know, I, I kind of had a feeling that you might ask me something like that. So I've been thinking about that. I, I and um, it, I, I just uh, what the the one thing that I can think of. Actually, I think there's several examples. Uh, I, I wish you would have asked me for uh, changes that were unsuccessful <laughs> because um, I've got a lot more examples of those, and and really those are probably easier to learn from because they're more fun to talk about. Um, but I think the when when I think about a successful change effort that really changed learning for kids. Um, I, when, when I was in Emporia, um, we went through a period of changing our, our literacy instruction. And it was, it, it, it was a great process that we went through. And, and I, was, I was kind of reflecting on that. And what, what did we do? How, why did that work so well? And uh, like many people in the, in the 90s and early 2000s, we had a curriculum that really wasn't a reading curriculum. You remember those? Mm-hmm. You remember when we all thought that it was just, you know, uh, kids would just learn it. It's yeah. just going to happen. Magic. And, uh, what, what did we call that? Um, whole language. Probably. With the whole language approach, and which is, you know, has some good elements, but Absolutely. we just, you know, it was, and, and we just kind of had this freewheeling reading curriculum. And we bought a book, George Abel, you know George, mm-hmm. everybody knows George, and, and uh, George said, you know, there's this guy, um, uh, Michael Schmoker, <laughs> who wrote this book, and we ought to read this as a, as a group of administrators. So we all buy this Mike Schmoker's, uh, what's mm-hmm. the name of that book? Re- results, I think. I think it was. 
Yes. Uh, yeah. So long. This is a long time ago. The, mm-hmm. the, young, the younger listeners will be will be laughing at us. But well, so we buy this book, and and the first chapter is about confronting the brutal realities of your data. And and people who have read Jim Collins mm-hmm. know that this it's mm-hmm. kind of the same idea. You gotta you've got to confront the brutal facts and and not uh, not candy coat them. And what we saw was our kids didn't know how to read. You know, 50% of our kids on state assessments were not at the proficient level, and that was kind of embarrassing. We thought we were, you know, one of the, we thought we were the flagship district of, of the state. And so we read that book as a group of administrators, and we started asking ourselves questions then about why is that? Why, it, why does our data look like that? And um, we came to the conclusion that we didn't really have any of the the key components that are necessary for good curriculum and instruction. We didn't have a structured curriculum. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have uh, instruction that was, uh, you know, that, that that aligned with the curriculum. We didn't have good professional development. We didn't have coaching, <laughs> and and we really didn't have a buy-in from staff that there was anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I'm talking. I feel like I'm talking too much, and it's going to be boring. So you just jump in here if you want me to no. stop. <laughs> so why do you, so why do you think that 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 initiative was so successful? Well, because the first thing we did then was we started talking to staff about let's look at our data mm-hmm. and let's and, and and what what are you experiencing in your classroom? Uh, you know, are are we experiencing success? So it's not just a matter of looking at the test, but are are, are mm-hmm. kids really able to learn and do what they need to do uh, for your grade level? And, and we talked to staff about that, and then we start getting feedback through the principals. And we had great principals uh, who were really interested in this and really uh, wanted to be uh, wanted to get better. And the principals really bought into this idea that we've got to we've got to do better. And so we looked. We got a group of staff together. Uh, we did a year long study. And um, I think it's Susan Hernandez uh, was uh, in charge of our um, program, special programs at that time. She led us through that, and uh, we came up with some recommendations about things that we ought to do. The first recommendation was we need to adopt a reading curriculum, and, uh, and then we need to have uh, instruction that's aligned with that curriculum, and we need support materials that are aligned with that curriculum. And so we did all that. We adopted that. But the most important thing we did was when we adapted that, George said, we've got to put away X amount of money for professional development, and that's not enough. We have to have coaches in the, that, that will be in the classroom working side by side, people who the teachers will respect that can help them along the way. Because the principal said, you know, we're good principals, uh, but we're not reading experts. And we can't do this alone. And so our board was wise enough to buy into all this because, you know, as a superintendent, you bring your board along. Mm -hmm. Our board was smart enough to say, yeah, this makes sense. And they, you know, they provided us with the resources. So we were able to have a good, high-quality curriculum, good materials, excellent professional development. We put time aside. We had weekly PLC time. And uh, and the staff were involved in the research and selection, and then the literacy coaches, and and we picked literary, literacy coaches, uh, and, and we you know we had a few that stumbled in and out or didn't like it, but for the most part, who were real instructional leaders in in their schools, 
and it just it, it you could just you could just it was it was, it was beautiful it was a beautiful thing you know and the kids started reading better it was amazing um, so and, and you know the as I think a couple of cool things about it the staff through the negotiations process you know when you add literacy coaches mm-hmm. some places people would say no wait a minute how can you want to give that money to, to mm-hmm. coaches and not to we need that in our salary mm-hmm. but our staff said you know what we think that's important we think we need that support and we never got we didn't get the kickback that mm-hmm. you might get in negotiations mm-hmm. and wow. uh, our community was excited about it and and i think the best thing from a superintendent standpoint uh, besides the fact that kids are learning more, was the way that the board bought into what we were trying to do. That's probably the next question. What, as, as a superintendent, what is the role of board members when we look at systemic change, professional learning? How do you see that, John, being successful? Well, that's a, you know, that's a really good question. And um, it's... You know, we always we always tell people that the board's in charge of policy, and the and the administration's in charge of of uh, management and administration of the district, and and we make it sound like that there's this there's this black line, <laughs> this uh, you know electric fence that you can never cross. But when in fact that's a that's a I don't know what you call it. it it's a it's a dotted line that you mm-hmm. dip in and out of, and. And so as a superintendent, you have to kind of read your board, read your community, read your staff for what exactly should the board's role be in this. Mm-hmm. And I think it, in every community, it's going to be a little bit different. And in our community, we had, uh, we had people that knew a lot about reading on our board. We had people that didn't know much about reading at all. But they made a commitment along with the staff that they were going to learn more about it but first of all, uh, let me let me back up. I think first of all, if you've got to make your board into learners, they have to be excited about learning wow. and model learning themselves. Absolutely. Okay. So if you want to have a if you want to implement systemic change in your district, your board has to 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 be to want to learn themselves, because if they don't, and then they just want to. Uh, status quo and don't don't try to tell me anything new, then it won't work. Uh, so you have to have a a critical mass of board members who who want to be learners, um, and and they have to be interested in their role, which which we teach at KSB is monitoring, which means looking at data, how are we doing, and then setting a vision. Uh, you know where do we want to be? This is where we are. And this is where we want to be. But if they have that background of learning, and 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 a superintendent has to foster that and cultivate that, mm-hmm. and you know, every board meeting you ought to have something on your agenda. What we did is we told our board at every month you're going to learn something about reading instruction, hmm. and we don't expect you to be reading teachers, uh, and we don't expect you to be experts in reading, but we want you to understand the background of what we're trying to do. And and so if if Joe Bag of Donuts is at the grocery store and says, you know, this reading program you guys use, I I don't like it because it, you know mm-hmm. my kids are not doing very well. The the board members would at least know that it's based on the uh, I can't remember now anymore the the five mm-hmm. fundamentals mm-hmm. reading instruction right. whatever and and it's research based and mm-hmm. and and they they'd be able to to talk at a layman's level about what 
what reading instruction is. And this could be anything. I mean, it, it's not just reading. It's I'm talking about reading because that's what's exciting mm-hmm. me. It could be your bond issue or whatever, um, whatever it is. So they they have to you have to teach them that there are there are other places you can go mm-hmm. besides where you are right now, and that's what we try to do. And and then you also have to show them that what your data is and where there's room for improvement. And I think a lot of times, a lot of times, and you know, at the state level, we do this. Uh, we just we get so tired of people attacking us that all we want to do is defend, and we don't want to show that yeah, we do have some things mm-hmm. that we need to get to do better. You know, uh, I just was writing uh, Mark and I. You know, they're they're talking about the at risk funding right mm-hmm. now, and and there's a lot of talk about you know has that been successful and and. Um, Mark and I have just been talking about the fact that, yeah, it's been very successful what we've done for at-risk kids. But we still have, I just figured this number, 63,000 at-risk kids in Kansas who aren't at proficient on state assessments. Mm. So you have to tell your board both sides of the story. Right. We're doing really well at this. Here's where we need to improve. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and let them help set the vision of where we want to be. So their job is to set the vision, and monitor. And the hard part is you elect people to the board that are doers. They're people that are used to getting their hands dirty and fixing things. That's why they run for the board. You know, Mm -hmm. you start out, you're on the PTA board, and you really know how to set up a chili supper, or you really know how to do a fundraiser, or you're on your church board, and you really know how to, you know, set up that, uh, that, uh, Sunday school class schedule, and, and so that's your experiences, and you're used to being a working board member, mm-hmm. and then you get on the school board, and that's not the kind of board member you need to be, and so there's a constant desire on the part of a lot of people who run for the board to get involved in how we do things, mm-hmm. and so, you know, how are we going to teach the kids to read, and, and, and I've got an idea because, you know, when I taught my kids to read, right. this is what we did. Yeah. And so you have to, as a as a superintendent and staff, you always kind of have to try to, yeah, thank you. You know, we appreciate your input. That's good input. But the, you have to you know, let the professionals do the how, and you set the vision and monitor. And it, and then if the how isn't working as a board member, when you look at the data, you have to say, hey, wait a minute. That's not working, guys. Mm-hmm. You may be in love with this idea, but it's not working. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to trust your staff enough to back off and let them do the how and then you do the, you know, the, the, the why, what, the where do we want to be. Uh-huh. And the why, so, I guess. They kind of set yeah. the big picture. and the why, yeah. Yes, that's, yeah. that's exactly right. You know, as you were describing your implementation of that reading program, you touched on every one of the seven PL standards. You, you started with data. You talked about all the resources you had to have. You talked about how great your principles were, that you did it through a learning community. You were clear of a reading curriculum. You took the time, you know, for implementation. And your learning design also, you you mean, having uh, reading coaches, that's a learning design. You chose to do that. It's amazing. You hit all seven of How about that? And we didn't even know what we were doing. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, you know, I think you you know George. Yes. Uh, George Abel might have had a plan. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) but you know that's what's the beauty of these seven standards they're so common sense yeah you know without any of those 
I doubt that it would have been successful. And if we had uh, longer, we might talk to you a little bit about the ones that weren't successful. I bet one of those seven <laughs> strategies, we wouldn't have to name it, I bet one of those seven uh, standards weren't there. Could have been one. Well, I know in the first part of my career, I know the thing that we always left out was the coaching. Mm-hmm. And, th- and I just think that's critical. Yeah. Now, I think now... Uh, that's an understood part, and most people understand you have to have that. But, mm-hmm. you know, we used to think you could just, a teacher would learn it, they'd practice it on mm-hmm. their own, and, and they'd get it. And a lot of teachers did, uh, but a lot of us need that constant little push. And those that did were silos of excellence, you know. Yeah. And they, but then how do we get, like you said, every, every student can read, not just some of them, but all of them. Yeah. So. And everybody likes feedback, whether they, whether they admit it or not. Everybody likes feedback, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's true. Whether it's whatever, I, I mean, yeah. whether it's an agenda or whether it's uh, something else, people like feedback. <laughs> <laughs> so, as we're thinking about implementation across our state, you know, because we have so many initiatives, we have the new higher standards, we have educator evaluations, we have technology. Uh, what what are a couple of questions that if we ask, it might help us to move our thinking forward? Hmm. Well, I was uh, I was at the Council of Superintendents last night, and uh, Steve Abrams and Kasha Kelly, Kasha 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 Kelly, the the chair of the Senate and House Ed committees mm-hmm. were there, and they were talking and. Um, I think Steve Abrams asked a question uh, that I think is critical to to education in general and one that we get so busy that we really never stop to think about. And uh, I, if you know Steve, you know, he, he he's a little bit gruff and grumbly. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if, he, if educators really know how to take him. If you've been around him a while, you kind of know how to take him. But he asked the question... What do we want for our kids when they graduate? <laughs> I mean, it's a simple question, mm-hmm. and you could talk for a week about that. I mean, you could really. I mean, do you know? I I, I remember Randy Watson talking about mm-hmm. the fact that he he had a meeting with his staff several years ago when they're going through a planning process, and 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 he asked that question, and he points out that nobody ever said that they wanted their kids to pass the state assessment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, what do we want for kids? And, and as we, as Steve asked that question and people started talking about, it, well, you know, you want your kid to be, to lead a happy life. You want them to be employed. You don't want them to live in your basement. Um, Steve said, you know, you want them to uh, be able to buy a house. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, and he said maybe even a few toys. Uh, so, you, you know, you want mm-hmm. them to, uh, and, and so that's, that's the question that if we started with that and then really use that to drive what we do, I think it would help us eliminate some dumb things that we do and maybe help us do some right things. And when that's the big picture, again, professional learning is a part of that, of how to get over the bridge from this is where we are, this is where we want our kids to be, and how do we get across that bridge? Yeah, because we're really not where – we're not answering – if what we've designed now is – is answering that question, it's not answering it very well. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm as guilty as anybody. What did I do when I talked to you about the success of our reading program? I talked to you about state assessment scores. Mm-hmm. 
That's how you measure. That's how we measure the success. But that's a means there. to an end, and it does, like you said earlier, one of the roles of your board is to monitor, and yeah. be- because we want feedback, you know, we don't play basketball forever and never have a game on Friday that's night. That's true. That's you know, true. So there has to be some kind of feedback, and it, at that time, that's what you had with state assessment yeah. data. That's yeah. what I just, I really wish we had better assessment. Yeah. Yep. to measure what kids really know and are able to do. So you think we're getting closer on that? Well, I was disappointed. Uh, I think we took a step backwards uh, because of financial reasons, basically, and, uh, and maybe some political reasons. We took a step backward, um, but maybe we'll get there. I, I, it's so hard to, uh, you know, unless you're a psychometrician, it's, it's <laughs> so hard to get lay people to understand a quality, robust assessment and, and how much more valuable that uh-huh. is than, uh-huh. than a multiple-choice test. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, it's just it's hard to explain. That's right. That, that's true. Well, we've talked about learning, John. What, are you, what have you been learning lately? Well, I've learned... Um, or reading that, or doing or... Hmm, what have I learned? Uh, I've learned that, uh, gosh, that's a hard question. Um, I've learned that at the, at the state level, things look a lot different. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, just as far as my personal, um, I'm doing, I'm doing a, uh, a thing uh, that, uh, I can't remember what what it's called. It's a coaching model. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's about, uh, you know, how, how you try to move yourself out of uh, uh, always being a victim and, mm-hmm. and in conflict to try to be at a little higher level of operation. And, right. Uh, I just, uh, Tamara Conradi at, uh, at ESDAC is kind of leading this, and, and she's about the most positive person in the world. So um, it, it, it's, I, I think as educators, we have, we have digressed because we felt beaten on so much into this victim mentality where everything's happening to us and there's nothing we can do about it. And, and our profession ought to be one of inspiration, not of, of victimhood. And so it's been, I've really enjoyed going through that and learning about that and, and thinking about, okay, how do we move our profession back to one that's supposed to inspire mm-hmm. instead of one where you're kind of dragging your feet with your head down going, what are they going to throw at me today? Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's been fun. I, I've liked learning that. Um, we spent some time um, with uh, P- Peter Lincioni's uh, The Advantage and mm-hmm. the Five Dysfunctions mm-hmm. of the Team yes. here at my office, and uh, I think that's helped us um, grow at KESB. We, we try to do a book study or two every year, and uh, that's been something new, and we have fun doing that. Um, so, I'm, you know me, I'm always wanting to learn something new. Yes, I do, I do. Well, this, is, <laughs> this has been great. This has been great. I love your perspectives and your energy and your passion. Uh, now that you just think about, wow, that's been a fast 25 minutes. Um, what's your takeaway just from this conversation? 
Um, wow, what's my takeaway? Well, I think my takeaway would be that uh, you know, uh, if you if people take time to, uh, how often do you take time to reflect on what you've done that's worked in the last twenty years? Um, that was kind of fun. We um, really did have some success, and and that that probably helps you as you think about the difference between being a victim and and being inspirational. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you reflect and take a minute to think about things that have gone well in your life and your career, uh, it might take you out of that victim mode. So I think that's going to be my takeaway. That's great. And it also shows you you've done this before and you've been successful. And so you look yeah. at you know, how that worked when you were successful and, and bring it forward. What's well, we twi- I think we tend to dwell on our mistakes. and yeah. uh, We shouldn't do that so much. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And my pleasure. My pleasure for you, John, and uh, for our listeners. This podcast will be on our Sticky Standards website soon, and you can check it out with a lot of other great uh, podcasts. So thank you, John. You're welcome. Bye-bye. You're listening to this podcast on Remarkable Chatter, part of the ESDAC Broadcasting Network. To find out more information about this or other podcast shows, please visit RemarkableChatter.com.